ladies and gentlemen, it's a huge honor and privilege to be with you here today to talk about a subject that is incredibly close to my heart, but also fundamentally important to the future of our, our businesses. The title of a lecture seems somewhat overwhelming. So I'd like to think of this and like you to listen to this, less of a lecture and more of a story, um, a story of challenge, a story of adversity, um, but ultimately a story of collaboration. And I think it's very apt when I think about the people in the room together and the very essence of Camden itself, that we should talk about the need for collaboration on issues which are incredibly important to us and some would say and argue ultimately difficult to achieve and deliver. As you all know, global agriculture and our land resources face significant challenge over the coming decades. With the world population to set to reach 8 billion by 2025 and 9 billion by 2050, we know we will have to double global food production. And yet, at the same time, we need to reduce agriculture's impact on the environment, dealing with the unpredictable effects of climate change, like floods and drought. We also need to manage the impact of economic growth in the developing world, with new markets and increased demand from a burgeoning middle class for an arguably more wasteful Western diet. The evidence is stark. We are consuming resources and polluting the planet at a level 40% higher than the Earth can renew or absorb. We need to do more towards moving towards one planet living and away from becoming a planet living beyond its capacity. Together, these issues compromise what I would call the biggest challenge facing our generation, that of sustainability. Now, to some, sustainability has become a buzzword, a cliche even. But to me, sustainability isn't central to my business because it's simply a marketing claim, or indeed because it meets the ethical requirements of my customers. Sustainability is absolutely critical to the economic future of our joint businesses. It's sustainability in its literal sense, the opportunity to continue to prosper in an uncertain and more challenging future. So where does that leave us as business leaders? I believe that the businesses that will succeed in the new world order are those whose values demonstrate the mutual relationships between businesses and their stakeholders. It is only through a genuine recognition that we are all part of a wider, highly complex infrastructure linking businesses, communities, and the environment together that we consistently work together to create wealth and prosperity beyond our factory walls. Coincidentally, it's the 80th anniversary of Mars in Slough. I'd like to think that one of the reasons we've been so successful for so long is that our approach to business is genuinely rooted in a mutuality of benefits amongst all of our stakeholders. In fact, one of our five principles states, a mutual benefit is a shared benefit, and a shared benefit will endure. But without doubt, life in the next 80 years is going to be a lot tougher. And as I've mentioned, becoming truly sustainable is the biggest challenge our industry has ever faced. However, I believe that approached in the right way, the food industry, which has shaped history in the past, can do so again. In the 1950s, it was the food industry that developed processed food to make family meals more varied and exciting. And it revolutionized packaging 
to make life more convenient and easier for busy mums. In the 1960s, industry increased investment in R&D, developing new ingredients to create lower-cost food options for cash-strapped families. And in the 1970s, we developed a better understanding of the relationship between nutrition and health and the food industry, which allowed us to respond to the health lobby with increasing number of healthier product lines. All of these developments delivered mutual benefits for the food industry and our customers. Building on this heritage, I am confident we can shape the course of history again. Companies and industries are approaching this in many different ways. Some, like Marks and Spencers, have chosen to create a compelling business strategy that recognizes the complexity of the sustainability challenge by having hundreds of different commitments. Through transparency and rigor, Marks and Spencers is moving the needle. Only last week, it had announced that it achieved carbon neutral status, the first major retailer to do so. Other businesses have chosen to focus on specific issues. Unilever, whose palm oil commitments and leadership go back many, many years, has once again raised the bar by creating a roadmap to fully traceable, sustainable palm oil by 2020. It is Unilever, I would argue, and not necessarily campaign groups or governments that has become the driving force behind change to make the commodity of palm oil a more sustainable one. At Mars, we have decided we need to become sustainable in a generation. Put simply, we absolutely buy the science of climate change. We know that we need to operate differently to that of today. Humanity has caused this issue, and it will be human ingenuity which needs to solve it. So we are committed to achieving zero fossil fuel energy use and zero greenhouse gas emissions from our operations by 2040. That's absolute numbers, and it's not about offsetting or buying renewable energy. We actually need to do things in different ways. The technology may not exist today, but we have faith we can achieve this, working with other people, companies, and industries. We've also gone this far to help compensate for the bigger challenge, making our own supply chain sustainable. If we were to focus only on our operations ourselves, we would, for example, only tackle 10% of our carbon emissions, and that's simply not good enough. So we must all look more closely at the sustainability of our supply chain. Globally, we have set out to sustainably source all of our main raw ingredients. And in Mars chocolate, our efforts are centered on cocoa. Now, many of you will know cocoa is a fundamentally important crop to the chocolate industry. We cannot make our products without it. But few of our customers actually know where it comes from, or indeed its fragility as a crop. Forgive me for those of you who already know, but for those who don't, cocoa grows in Africa, Asia, Central America, and South America, but only within 20 degrees of the equator, so a very small area. Some 70% of cocoa comes from West Africa. The Côte d'Ivoire is actually the world's largest cocoa producer. It grows more than a third of the world's supply, but has also recently struggled with its own challenges caused by civil unrest. 
Cocoa contributes significantly to the Ivorian economy. It represents 15% of GDP and about 40% of its exports. It supports more than 6 million people. However, despite its global scale and local significance, the Ivorian cocoa sector is under severe pressure due to persistent poverty and political conflicts. And unlike rice or wheat, cocoa is an orphan crop. This means that it's regionally important, but it receives little attention from research networks despite its significance. Yields have not increased at the same rate as other crops. Incomes are low, and poor farmers have limited access to new tools and knowledge. As a result, the next generation sees less and less reason to farm. Now, there are clearly many interconnected issues at play, but we know that if the farmers at the start of the supply chain are in trouble, then ultimately so is the whole industry. Despite the cocoa industry employing more people in the world than any other industry, there is a world shortage. The global cocoa sector may suffer one million metric tonne shortfall by 2020 because of the e increasing economic and environmental pressures on cocoa farms. It's just not sustainable. Aging trees combined with exhausted soils have already caused a steady decline in the amount of cocoa many farmers are able to produce. We're talking here about small holding farmers. An untreated pests and disease, as well as a lack of good agricultural practices, have resulted in a worsened situation. This, coupled with the growing taste for chocolate in Asia, particularly China, means an area the size of the Ivory Coast needs to be brought into cocoa cultivation. Either prices must rise, obviously, or the industry may be forced to adapt best-loved recipes with substitute fillings. As an illustration of the impact investment in research and crop development can have, over the last 30 years, we've seen just a 16% increase in the tons per hectare of cocoa. Now that's versus corn production, which is nearly doubled. The need for investment becomes even clearer when you look at the theoretical yield. In other words, the potential crop output in near perfect conditions, which for cocoa, is at 5.6% versus corn at 60. In addition to the lack of investment reducing yields, cocoa is an incredibly fragile crop, as we saw in the 1990s with the devastating witch's broom, which practically wiped out Brazil's crop. Prior to the disease taking hold, Brazil was the second largest cocoa producer. But afterwards, its output was decimated. It reduced from 380,000 tons to 90,000. And Brazil is now a net importer of the crop. Even in areas which have not yet had to contend with such dreadful diseases, yields and quality will continue to decline unless the global industry recognizes the mutual benefits of working together. Unless we do so, we have no hope in creating a sustainable cocoa industry within the next several decades. And it's not just in scientific and agricultural terms we are talking. We also need more to address the issues of human capital, not least of all child labor, which permeates the developing world. Sustainability is so much more about the environmental challenges, as important as they are.
Living on the poverty line, being a cocoa farmer, is no easy life. Producing just enough to survive, the world's five million smallholding farmers are unable to make significant investments in their businesses in order to break the cycle. It's therefore no wonder that the global sector suffers from fluctuating supply when we have discontented farmers, variable quality, and increasingly negative consumer perceptions. So, it's a bleak situation, and you may be sitting there quite rightly thinking, what are we doing as an industry? I firmly believe that many sustainability issues, including this one, are actually pre-competitive. Together with other key players in the cocoa industry, we are collectively committed to helping build a vibrant, sustainable industry, from the farmer to the factory. To do this, I believe there are four priorities. Firstly, we need to invest more in science to improve cocoa varieties, increase yield, improve resistance to pests and diseases, increase water and energy use. We have a center for cocoa science in Brazil, which has been operating for 30 years now. Together, the center is a hub for world-class science and collaboration, and leads our work on cocoa breeding, agroforestry systems, bio-rich diversity systems, and land rehabilitation. We hope that the center's results will enable social change, economic stability, and environmental stewardship for the benefit of cocoa farmers throughout the world. To help boost the social and economic well-being of the local growing community, the center also runs a school for farmers and children in the local districts. Meanwhile, our collaboration that began in 2010 with IBM and the United States Department of Agriculture has resulted in Mars releasing the sequencing of the cocoa genome so that scientists worldwide can use it to develop more resilient cocoa crops. By putting the genome work out into the public domain, we have ensured that the pace of development is maintained with scientists all over the world accessing and using this work. There are no patents to slow this down. The second priority is to work with farmers. As an industry, we need to help and work more closely with them so that they can institutionalize more sustainable practices. The sheer number of farmers and lack of infrastructure in some countries make this difficult, but we are making progress. Mars, for example, has worked with international donor agencies, governments, and others to establish cocoa development centers in the cocoa growing regions in Asia. These centers provide farmers with the tools, techniques, and training to deliver high quality yields and to establish vill village cocoa clinics. Local nurseries that facilitate the commercial distribution of cocoa plants, providing an additional source of income. Based on our success in Asia, we are expanding this initiative through the Côte d'Ivoire. Our goal is to set up 25 development centres that will reach 50,000 farmers, and we then want to work with other industry partners to establish another 50 centres that will manage to hit 100,000 farmers and more. With better planting, training in good agricultural practice, and access to fertilizers, farmers can triple their yields in three to five years. Anecdotally, Mars-supported farm rehabilitations have been shown to raise farmer income from just under 700 
$1,500 per annum in profit to 3,500. I've talked a lot about what we're doing as Mars Chocolate, but our competitors are also responding to the challenge. We know that progress will only come through partnership and collaboration with governments, NGOs, competitors, farmer groups, and the scientific community to amplify the impact of our collective efforts. And finally, there's certification. Its importance has grown considerably over the last decade, yet it still only covers 6% of cocoa farmers worldwide. The three principal certification organisations of Fairtrade, Rainforest Alliance and UTS have all grown in importance and impact and provide the framework in which companies can improve the way they work with suppliers with the aim of boosting their productivity and incomes. Each of these has its strength. And at Mars, we work with all three to ensure we have the strongest possible programme. We have committed to only sourcing certified cocoa by 2020. And last month, we announced that we've met our 2011 gate of achieving 10%. In 2012, we will exceed our original target of 20%, making us the world's largest user of certified cocoa. We have a goal, and we are moving in the right direction, but we are making incremental progress. By 2020, we need this virtuous circle to happen a million times for a million farmers so that each can grow an additional metric ton from their existing land. I use COCO as but an example of how great commitment, strong partnerships, and a lot of hard work from across all of the industry, origin governments, NGOs, processors, trade, and chocolate manufacturers are needed when tackling the long-term future of our crops. In addition to building a sustainable supply chain, from farmer to factory. We need to continue as an industry to improve our sustainability at home. I know from one of my previous roles as chairman of the Sustainability Committee of the FDF, the tremendous progress that the UK is making. As an industry, we are committed to reducing our carbon emissions by 35% by 2020, zero food and packaging waste to landfill by 2015, cutting water use by 20% by 2020, and embedding better environmental practices into our transport. Where we can, individual companies can go faster. For example, a number of companies, including Mars, have already stopped sending waste to landfill. Many companies are embedding environmental standards into their transport contracts as they fall for renewal, reducing emissions through warehouse reorganizations, consolidating deliveries, and introducing double-decker lorries and fewer inter-depot transfers. Packaging for a company like ourselves can be more of a challenge. Unfortunately, broken chocolate doesn't sell well. However, our packaging has to be designed with ultimately our consumers at mind, but we need to make sure that we balance this with its environmental impact. That is why we are committed to reducing packaging weights by 10%, designing our packaging to be 100% recyclable or recoverable, and increasing the level of recycled content in our packaging by 10%, or by 2015. I am incredibly proud 
of our sector's record in rising to the challenge of sustainability. But let's face it, a lot of consumers are skeptical about businesses. Aspects of corporate behavior over the last decades have led to customers feeling let down by big companies. And now we need to recognize that we operate in a low trust environment. With big brands and big companies come big expectations. Consumers now expect more from us. Consumers need authenticity, honesty, and responsibility, as well as value for money. But how does this tie back to my opening words about our commitment to mutuality? Well, when you think about some of the challenges we are facing as a society, you can understand why creating a mutuality of benefits might be more important than ever. If everyone stands to gain, the effort and impact is likely to be greater. At a recent global Davos conference called, I'm afraid, ChocoVision, my eminent fellow countryman Bob Geldof challenged the industry on sustainability. He pointed out in his inimitable style that if climate change continues, half the land for cocoa cultivation will disappear. The answer, he said, was collaboration with NGOs, farmers, and all partners of the food chain. He also urged the industry to take responsibility to advance long-term growth rather than short-term shareholder value. And you know what? It's not just because he's Irish, but he is right. Whatever the practical and operational difficulties, business needs to overcome these barriers and develop new models for collaboration, not just for cocoa, but across the entire food industry. And he's right, too, about business models. I'm incredibly lucky. I work for a private business, and as a result, we don't have to answer to outside shareholders. It's a very privileged place to be. We have the freedom to be able to set our own course and to take the long-term view, with little influence from the stock market or financial pundits. We can operate with our principles in mind. For us, one of these guiding principles is mutuality, which is both a challenge and an opportunity. And the food industry has helped to change the course of history in the past. And I have true confidence that we can do so again, by addressing the biggest challenge we have ever faced, the future of the planet itself. In doing so, I am extremely confident we can collectively deliver and derive mutual benefits for all. Thank you. <laughs>